Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com Yes. Thanks again for uh, hanging out with us here on Overnight America tonight. We get ourselves this great moments of uh, broadcast history every single night. (laughs) Who am I kidding? But we do have uh, some great guests, interesting thoughts. And you know what? We always want to hear from you. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. We're going to have Major General Mary Eater joining us about her new book called American Cyberscape. And uh, Trials in the Path to Trust. It's it's interesting. American Cyberscape. I think that with the way the Internet is uh, stationed and the way that it plays such a big part in our lives, it's difficult to uh, find a lot of things trustworthy anymore, let alone things that you find on the Internet. So that'll be a good conversation. I wanted to bring up one thing real quick. And a lot of people are wondering, hey, what's going on with this COVID relief stuff? You know, is it going to be here? Is it going to be there? I saw this one article on CNBC says the House aims to pass its one point nine trillion dollar coronavirus relief bill by the end of next week. And they're hoping to get the proposals through Congress before March 14th. And with the uh, all kinds of things that are a part of it, uh, things that could be expiring, which is the federal unemployment supplement and other benefits that's the the thing. They're going to try to get this as fast as possible. Now, the things that they're trying to sneak in are also still questionable, but it looks like the Democrats are going to do everything they can to try to get every social issue into here that has nothing to do with the actual fighting the coronavirus. But is there much new to say with that? Uh, the plan would increase the payment right now of the federal unemployment supplement to $400 through August 29th. So um, that's a part of it. And also what they're saying is that it would also uh, send $1,400 direct payments to most Americans and up to $3,600 per child to households over a year. So part of this idea is that it's more than just a one-time thing. It's, uh, hey, what we're going to do is plan this out for the entire year. More money for national vaccination programs, more money for states and uh, local aid, 
more money for colleges and schools, for reopening and the student aid costs, just a lot of other things in there. While the IRS at the same time is saying that all of the $600 stimulus checks from the last coronavirus relief bill have been sent out. 147 million payments were sent out as part of this bill. That's a lot, right? That, that seems like a lot. That is a lot. There's a lot to it, but the schools are the big thing. And I think a lot of people are just saying, you know, as long as you can get the schools open, that should be the main focus, but that's not the main focus. Uh, even the white house press secretary, uh, Jen Paskey mentioned just not that what last week that our goal is to get 50% of the schools open for one day a week. And then even they had to back down from that because uh, that wasn't even realistic. And for the longest time they said, Oh, the goal is to do this at the end of a hundred days. We want schools open. Well, there's the, the plan is for them to say that, but then when they're pushed back from teachers unions, like in Chicago, they seem to take more interest in the unions than they do the well-being of the kids to get them back in and to educate them. I know a lot of local schools are going back to school, if not already in the region. Hopefully a lot of them take that and run with it. They definitely need to uh, do it as soon as possible. And even de Blasio over in New York talking about the schools. There's a lot of parents in New York City who are really, really happy that yes. middle school is coming back next week, who are relieved to have they love their children, but they're ready for a break. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Correct. And uh, and also kids who want to be with their peers and want to have all the good that comes from kids connecting together again. So in a week, middle school comes back. It's going to be safe because we've really set the gold standard for this nation. We, we looked at the very beginning of opening schools in September. We said, let's take the best, the best approaches from around the world. So our kids all wear masks, for example. Our kids are tested. Uh, a, a big sample of each school tested every week. You know, these are the things that have worked. Our schools are the safest places to be in Wait, New York City. How are they testing the kids? Are they doing the nose swabs or are they doing just simple temperature checks? When my son, who's in kindergarten, goes to school, he has to wear his mask all day. The only time he's allowed to take it off is when he's eating lunch. And then at recess, what they do is they have everyone spread out. And while they're outside, they take off their mask for a couple of minutes and breathe in fresh air. And then they got to put it back on. How depressing is that? Everybody stand away from each other and breathe in the air. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can, kids. You're putting that back on. That is sad the way we are today with this. I, what? I can't imagine my kindergartner, a six-year-old, getting a nose swab from a school administrator. I don't want that. They haven't even said anything like that, luckily, here in St. Louis. Here's more from uh, de Blasio. So first middle school, and then I look forward to high school. And I got to tell you, Willie, this whole country's got to reopen our schools. You know, enough is enough. Our kids need it. And they're suffering. You know, really, let's be clear. It's not just academic loss. Our kids are suffering emotionally. And if they're not in school, it's bad for them. It's bad for their emotional development. For a lot of kids, it's very, very painful to not have that chance to go to school. And we've, we've got to pay more attention to that. It is painful. We've known this for a while. We've been saying this for a long time. We've been shouting this for a long time. Who's in opposition of it? Mostly are those um, that you think would have the best interest of the kids, but that's not what's happening. We have to think about them in a time like this. And even Dr. Fauci uh, talking about the vaccine when it comes to teachers and whatnot, because some of them are even saying, well, you know, don't open it until all the teachers have vaccinations. I think if you were going to say that every single teacher needs to be vaccinated before you get back to school, 
I believe, quite frankly, Tony, that that's a non-workable situation. I think teachers should absolutely be priority among those who we consider essential personnel. And you should try and get as many teachers as you possibly can vaccinated as quickly as you possibly can. But to make it a sine qua non that you don't open a school until every teacher is vaccinated, I think is not workable. And probably most of the teachers would agree with that. You want to put a good effort to get as many as you can, as quickly as you can, but you don't want to essentially have nobody in school until all the teachers get vaccinated. And I got to say, um, don't wait. You don't have to. I mean, you can do this and all of the other precautions you're taking are going to be the things that are really making the kids safe, which all of which schools should have been putting in place and figuring this out. If they've been wasting the last uh, half a year and have done nothing or even now close to a year and have done nothing to prepare for this moment, then what were they doing and what were they accepting federal funds for if that was the case? And what were they doing with that money? They, all of this should have been in place. And I, I feel like it's working and it can work on a larger scale and it should be tested out and at least give the kids some semblance of a regular year, at least towards the tail end. Because ultimately, what are you going to do? You're going to want to hold them back. Uh, how many kids have fallen behind because of this? The, the boredom of having to sit at a virtual screen all day kids aren't paying attention. They're not getting the same experience or the same education that is necessary for them in order to flourish and become a better kids and better people. And what are they going to do? You can't hold everyone over. You shouldn't have to lower the bar because of the policies you forced on them. It's a tough situation all around. Get the kids in, do what you can to try to save as much as you can. So coming up after the break, uh, I do want to bring on a guest, someone we spoke to, uh, Major General Mari Edler, uh, Edder, excuse me, in a new book talking about American cyberscape. And I think that the space that is there right now trusts when it comes to entities of anyone that posts anything online is not looking good. Uh, I definitely have my guard up all the time. So we're going to talk to uh, Mari coming up right after the break. It's Mary, excuse me, on Overnight America KMOX. St. Louis's morning news, total information AM, weekday mornings at 5 on KMOX and KMOX.com. We talk a lot about public trust. Uh, joining us now is an author of a new book called American Cyberspace, Trials in the Path to Trust. Mary Eater, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, we do have some trust issues here and a, a lot of different ways that we have trust issues and a lot of it has to do with the way we look at media the way we look at social media the things that go on behind the scenes the things we can't see and then reports come out and we realize wow there was a lot of shady things going on and it just erodes public trust in many different ways in american cyberspace what do you look at when it comes to trust well i look very at first very generally at our institutions our public institutions from business, to government, to NGOs, and of course to the fourth estate, to the media. And I look at different polls, I've looked at studies, um, how it's been eroding for at least the past 20 years. And I think after these last six months, we're just about at rock bottom for trust in all of these institutions. So uh, you're U.S. Army retired, former Army Deputy Chief of Public Affairs. In a lot of ways, the trust that people have to the government is also at an all-time low. Congressmen and senators and such also at an all-time low when it comes to approval ratings and things like that. So when you are part of one of the entities that has a low trust level to begin with, did that 
impact the way you were your thinking when it came to writing this book? Certainly, and I've had a lot of experience in dealing with media too throughout my career. So that's something I've looked at personally for quite a long time. Whether we've had individual issues with certain reporters, but not with an organization as a whole. And to say government is pretty broad, too, right. <laughs> because I think in every institution, there can be problems with individuals. But it's how does that organization or institution take care of itself? How does it police internally? It can affect our ongoing trust and our, our, be, our ability to say, okay, well, they fixed this. They took care of it. Um, if there was someone who did something they shouldn't have, it was taken care of. The person was punished and the issues that permitted this to happen have been taken care of. So that's what we need to see. Yeah, I wonder, too, because government, you're right, it's such a broad thing. Uh, government could be, you know, city hall. Government could be an elected official. In some cases, if you uh, contract for someone to pick up your trash and the government's taking care of it, that's looked at as government, too. Like, there's it's such a large, wide range of things, and I think that people in general, they have this certain outcome uh, in their mind, and if that outcome is not what happens based on whatever entity committed something that they don't like, then it builds distrust because it doesn't matter if the proper action was taken, objectively or not, it's really what they wanted as an outcome. So I think that trying to build trust with any entity, it's almost impossible anymore. I think part of what you're talking about is what we call confirmation bias, where if we have certain deeply held beliefs, then we're going to seek out things that confirm that, news that confirms that, um, policies that confirm that, because we already believe things should be a certain way. What I try to do with media is seek out a wide variety of sources. And in the past six months or so, I've mentally taken to where whatever I read in terms of news, I'll just take out all the adjectives. That's hard it's to do. It's pretty hard to think. It is hard, but it's, it's easier than thinking, well, I've got to go look this up and go do a fact check and go to one of these sites that do that because we just don't have time to do that. It's just like all those notices we get now that say, please agree to our terms of service. Well, I want to get to whatever it is I was looking for. So, yes, I'll agree. And the truth is I haven't read many of them to know what I've just agreed to. I know exactly what you mean. And I, um, as someone that reads a lot of news articles, I become very much distrustful of a lot of different organizations, mostly because I I feel like the, the, there's this certain... There's this certain message behind it that I always have to have my guard up for. It feels like I'm. This is what it, it's like. Every time I go and read an article, I think, okay, what is the motive here? I, you, you can't have your guard down. And it's been like that for the last couple of years, maybe even longer. Maybe it's just part of growing older and you become more cynical on things. I don't know. It, it could be a combination of the two. But I think most people, when they hop on the internet or wherever they go, uh, they're just pushed with these different messages to not trust things. You know, if they're on social media, there's a little warning label that comes up. Um, you know, and if you're on Facebook or Twitter, you can see things like this has been disputed or not disputed or this is true this is not then you might realize okay that's a little objective in the way that they've decided to fact check this so it none of these things actually add to helping us trust one another anymore um do you think that there is going to be a time where these sort of sources um become more trusted and become more accepting of what's being presented to them 
I do. I think that when you hit the rock bottom, that there is nowhere to go but up from there. And I certainly think that there are many news organizations that are trying to change. Some of them, it's generational. So we'll see, we're already seeing a level of change out in some reporters, um, anchors, editors, uh, news managers that are going to change how we look at news and how it's delivered. One of the things I look for now when whatever I read is, show me where you got it, show me your original sources, tell me who you talked to. So if I want to read the entire Supreme Court ruling, it's right there and I can. And then so you I can, can see where things originated. Yeah, and, and you can get an understanding, a little bit better understanding of why they summarized it the way they did. But what about when there's certain um, actors, like um, you know, one of the very famous ones was like Brian Williams, for example. So super well-trusted, like news anchor, gets caught telling a story about him overseas and you know getting shot down. or what, I can't even remember the original story, all of which was fabricated and not true. It only takes like one instance, one quick moment where your trust goes to zero and you're completely uh, shunned and you're pushed away. Uh, is that healthy, do you think, when it comes to public trust? Is if one, if one news entity, one person gets something wrong, Dan Rather is another example of that, too. Is, is that good for us to push them fully away? I think what you saw in that instance was a celebrity. And particularly for some of our national-level broadcast media, they've become celebrities. And in order to be continuing in the public spotlight there is a great temptation to uh, embellish a little, add a little more, perhaps go even further than that. So I think the what you're saying is it too much to think we should have them be fired or gone from the public stage. I think that many people have a renaissance these days in one way or another, one form or another, but for the organization that employs someone that does that, they have to protect their reputation as well. Yeah. That's and what we've seen in news media overall in the past 10 to 20 years is not only this focus on celebrity. I mean, I know much more about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, and yes, they're expecting another bait. I don't need to know that, and I don't need to know any more than they're living here, and that's nice. But we continue to see that type of story juxtaposed with stories about um, the pandemic or what's happening in the weather nationwide today. So we don't have the ability to judge anymore what's important when all of these stories are the same size and the celebrity piece is pushed to the forefront. Joining us here is Major General Mary Eater, and the book is American Cyberspace, Trials and the Path to Trust. I think about entities like Facebook or Twitter or Google or whatever, you fill in the blank, where their main source of revenue, and at least for the social media giants, is advertising to you, mining your data, taking information about you, and selling it to third parties. And we learn about these things, what goes on behind the scenes, and a lot of people look at that and say, how, how in the world can you even trust an entity or a digital giant when their main purpose is to sell you out? And how is it possible even to have trust in cyberspace anymore uh, because the basic nature, the building blocks on how they became so profitable is to uh, essentially break your trust. All of our, our media platforms, I think the, the largest ones in particular, have gone through so many changes since they were young companies not too many years ago, 10 years ago. 
So just this past year in 2020, the big ones, Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, earned a combined $7.5 trillion by the end of the year. So their income, their revenue is huge, which means great market share, and then that influence that comes from that. So I think we're going to see a lot more happening in terms of laws, whether they're statewide or national. In some cases, they might need to be national rather than state, because if you have Virginia's laws on privacy are different from those in South Dakota, then you're going to have a problem overall with doing business across state lines. But you're right about the personal privacy issue with the data mining, sale, and usage. Maybe we were all naive 10 years ago, but certainly we need to see much more of this regulated, and we need to see much more being done from companies and from us personally that we take more care with protecting our own privacy. Yeah, I find that a lot of times the larger group identity seems to be taking over and that's more trusted than the companies or whatever. So just recent example with the whole GameStop thing where you have a group of people that, you know, want to buy this and, you know, prove a point or whatever because of the markets and Wall Street or whatever. The, the and, and then the other side of it is I think a lot of people look at social media that way, too. They say uh, if we are, as a group, very upset about it. We, as a group, are right, and social media is wrong. Thus, it's not an individual thing. It's a large group of people that have a large distrust. So then all of a sudden, your trust is built on disliking someone else. Like you're, 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 you're putting your trust mm-hmm. into a group that automatically hates certain things. So when you swing back the other way, I wonder if that could be dangerous, too, because all of a sudden, you might be trusting another group. Just, you know, The enemy of your enemy is not necessarily your friend type of thought. I think you're right about that, but certainly that there is a great need for all of us who say, I didn't like that story and I thought it was wrong. I don't like this game I'm seeing advertised in the app store. I think it's um, disgusting. Then I need to write to them and tell them because I think uh, for the most part, uh, much of our media don't get feedback because we don't write. We don't complain. We don't ever say, oh, I really like that commercial you did um, or this one I think is wrong. And here's why. So they're not getting feedback from us. So there is the assumption that all of this is good. Yeah, It's funny the way you put it there. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time. Every once in a while, I'll message someone a compliment if it's one of those things that I thought. No one would ever compliment them on this, but I really enjoyed it. I'll sometimes hear a commercial. Mm-hmm. I'll say things like that. And I'll tell you what, it's a rare thing. Um, no one ever does that sort of thing anymore. Drop a note to anyone and say something positive. It's almost like when I know I'm getting an email from a listener, I know it's going to be negative. Immediately, it's something they were upset about what I said. And that's probably not all that healthy either. <laughs> no, and it's never mild. It's really extreme. It's one or ex- one extreme or the other. Yes, it is. And we don't do that much in every area. So on Friday for Valentine's Day, I got my dog and some candy and we went to the vet and gave all of them candy because I don't, I'm sure they don't get that kind of feedback. Um, so if people wanted to check out your book, American cyberspace trials in the path to trust, where can they find it? It's on Amazon. 
of course, as we talk about large platforms. I know. You know, it's so hard to get around that anymore. And I tell people on my show that if you're on Facebook and you dislike Facebook and you don't trust Facebook, but somehow you're still on it and you don't know why you're on it, then we might as well connect. And it's so weird because we're so reliant on these things. I don't know what to do. I, I, don't, I really don't know a way around it being a broadcaster because ultimately it's like you, you got to play the game in a certain way. Oh, there's things you use for work and you don't use them personally. So I connect with a number of my former colleagues in public affairs on, on Facebook. And unfortunately, everyone I went to high school with has found me there, too. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. It's hard. That's the first place I look when I'm trying to find someone. Social media, that's the way it goes. Uh, you know, it's hard to escape it anymore, but... The part that uh, I was talking to a broadcaster a couple of days ago, and I asked him when, you know, the kids come up to you and ask you what kind of advice, you know, young broadcasters. And he says that the most important thing you have is your name. So you have to be very careful the things you do and say, and you don't want to break the trust of the people that view you, the, the, the consume you. And I thought that's very important because I don't know if that's taught. Um, I don't really know if that sort of thing is brought up anymore. Is it on an individual level? I don't know if it is either. And I, I also don't know what is taught a, a, a right now about ethics in journalism. I do wish that journalism as a profession would police itself, much like the American Medical Association or the bar for attorneys, so that there is an internal... I know in some places they say, well, we do have this with the uh, Society of Professional Journalists and... Those are not organizations that have any authority, however. So if I want to say I'm a journalist, I can. If I want to say I'm a blogger, I can, and I need to go follow this unit when it's deployed. But what are the assurances that if something happens to me, that, you know, is the military liable? Is anyone else liable? So we, we have all types of issues with this, this type of journalism. Yeah, I know what you mean. The reputable organizations, um, pretty much everyone, if they have social media, calls themselves you know, a journalist or whatnot if they're doing a live filming somewhere. And you think, well, are they really? And uh, you're right. There's I've so much distrust. That's, that's what it comes down to, I guess. And it's not just directed always at the government or at a big tech or big company or whatever it is. So one more time, uh, Amazon.com, if people wanted to look up American Cyberspace Trials and the Path to Trust. And that's a good place to look it up. Are you on social media or any place people can find you? Yes, unfortunately, I'm on all of it. <laughs> I know I feel the same way. Unfortunately, I am. <laughs> and uh, people can find you on there if they do a quick search for Mary Eater, uh, M-A-R-I-E-D-E-R. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight on KMOX. Thank you very much for having me. And Mary joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America, KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to uh, Overnight America. Yeah, getting close to the end of the night. Uh, if you want to call in, you can at 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. We only got about a half hour left on the show. So I wanted to also talk about Joe Buck's mansion. Well, this mansion, the right word, very nice property on a nice piece of land uh, up for grabs. Apparently it's now listed for sale. It's over in Ladue and it's listed for $3.295 million. It's 7,400 square feet. Beautiful every bit. This is exactly what you would expect, though, with a $3 million property. Uh, before we do that, let's go to Jim real quick. Welcome to Overnight America. Ryan, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so, okay, thanks. So, like, I don't know whether you anybody talked about Larry Flint dying or not. I know there's a lot about Rush Limbaugh dying. But I just wanted to say whether you agreed with what Larry Flint was into or not, the guy really literally devoted his life to uh, uh, protecting and and fighting for our rights under the First Amendment. So, I mean, you know, they've somebody shot him one time and he's in a wheel. He was crippled for life because of it. Um, And I mean, he he just really went to the mats, uh, you know, for the First Amendment. So whether you agree with what he said or not, you know, I I mean, I just would like to, you know, say that I really uh, I like the fact that he fought for uh, our First Amendment rights to express ourselves. Okay. Thanks, Jim. That's interesting. I didn't know if we'd get a call on Larry Flint <laughs> this week. No, I didn't talk about him. Um, you know, I don't care to, but let's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing. There was the only moment that I really thought was mentioning Larry Flint. And I don't know if I did this on air or not. There was a moment on the Simpsons where Stephen Hawking, who the very famous physicist, uh, wheelchair bound, but was able to talk through a device, uh, you know, a little computer device voice. And he made an appearance on the Simpsons and Homer got up and yelled, Larry Flynn is right. Larry Flynn also wheelchair bound there at the time of that joke came out. Honestly, I didn't remember. I really didn't realize he was still alive, but yeah. Um, no, I, I did not mention Larry this week on the show, but okay. Thank you for giving uh, Larry Flint Memorial on overnight America. So Jack Buck, uh, of course, very famous KMOX broadcaster, and his son Joe did a lot with Cardinal Baseball, but now is known nationally through Fox Sports and does a lot of the big games, the biggest games on Fox, known as a great broadcaster. Uh, people like to go online and complain about him, but really he's at the top of his game. He's, he's just great. And he's always been a supporter of St. Louis. You even hear him often on Charlie Brennan's show or maybe Sports Open Line, things like that. And Joe Buck has always had a residence here in St. Louis, thanks to all the roots that the Buck family has in St. Louis. And now his home is up for sale, uh, apparently owned by him. And if you go 
online. You can see it. I saw KMOV did a nice write-up on this. And it's over in Ladue, $3.3 million. It's beautiful. And they say that Jack Buck owns it. I don't know if he lives there or not, but still, now that it's out there and listed, it's uh, public at least, 7,400 square feet. Awesome. I did a video on the property if you want to see some pictures of it. Go to Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook. You'll be able to get it right there or on Twitter at Ryan Recker and the, the video's posted. We can go and watch it together. Oh, Patrick's calling in from D.C. Patrick, what's going on? Well, greetings, sir. Greetings here from your nation's capital once again. Hey, the city that, that uh, cannot leave the country alone, we're, we're a little laying low for the past few days this week. I wonder what's wrong with us. We haven't and really why, been in the forefront. <laughs> why would that be? Why would you think that's the case? I, I, I have no idea why we're, we're not just so front and center bugging the heck out of the rest of the country. I don't yeah. know. I think maybe the snow that came in on Sunday night in the sleet and the snow uh, may have had something to do with it. Uh, if ever there is gridlock in Washington, because there is one group of people in the country that cannot drive in the snow, and that is the people in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. They are okay. really, really bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really bad. And it was a week ago that this stuff uh, started uh, truly you know, moving around, right? All the snow and the sleet was about a week ago, a week before Sunday. Actually, it was, it was all this week. Yeah, basically, it started to, to roll down. And it was cold this weekend. I mean, it was really cold. But that's when the, the major snow started to hit the last couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. I You know, I feel so sorry for those people out there. But it, because you and I speak, and I've you know, been welcomed on this radio station, you know, throughout the years, and I hate to use the, these terms, but, you know, called, you know, civil defense, excuse me. But, you know, there is such a thing as, that we're just not taught the citizenship that we used to taught. And it's it, not only that is we're not taught that, it's not even practice in our, our, our dialogue and our mass communication system and among one another's and this, this fight that we've always had uh, over the past four years and maybe Mick going back to Obama or whenever we started this fight with one another that we won't stop there was a time in America of course that we didn't have this you know continued fight we were kind of all for one and one for all and yeah. I think that we really changed to the all for one and one for themselves and that's gotta we that's gotta change because, you know, to even think that we have such a humanitarian crisis and sh it's going to be short lived, but it could really go on in Texas. And these are our fellow Americans. This is one of our states. Mm. And to even think that that's going on, and I, I can't believe that it hasn't hit St. Louis and Missouri. I mean, I'm sure you got hit with snow and accidents, but uh, to be yeah, out of we got power, lots. We, it wasn't the power issue. Luckily, our main power provider, Amron, said, no, we're not doing the rolling blackouts. There were some other places in Missouri that did. And down in Texas, people talking about losing their power for days at a time. It's just it's, that's terrible. That's horrible. They shouldn't be doing that. No, it's it's scary. Uh, it's It's very scary. And I don't understand why we let ourselves get in this position uh, with the with the energy, let alone. Uh, we got ourselves in this position with the rollout of the vaccine, and that's not right either because Massachusetts is having a heck of a time uh, getting things straight for their citizens and, you know, putting people through a lot of misery to go get a, a shot and not being available, saying it's available, not available, and, and really toying around with them and then coming up with a 
211 number and the 211 number is a little messed up and the websites and this and that. I don't understand how our elected officials let this get that way because, Ryan, keep in mind, when they want your vote, they know how to call you, right? They want your money. Yeah, know. They, know how to, they know how to call you. Why don't they know how to call you to say, uh, you know, Mr. Ryan, uh, we have your vaccine. We, we have you on a rotation. Uh, can we set you up on an appointment? What's, what happens there? How come we can ask people for money and ask them for a vote, but we can't say we're calling you to make sure that you're okay this time for you to get your vaccine? I don't know. Mm. We, we you know, I got some problem. Yeah. yeah, I got some D.C. questions for you, if uh, you don't mind. How is D.C. at plowing snow? Do they do a pretty decent job? No, they don't. They do a really lousy job. And this is really funny because it was pointed out to me that they didn't have this problem in the 1950s, okay? And there's been no roads added to Washington, D.C. It's been the same amount of roads, period. You know, all through the 40s and 50s. And I've been mean, told, like, you know, hey, we didn't have this problem. They piled these trees with no problem at all. We have more snow than we had now. Okay. Question so, no, number they're two. Really, they're, really, they're really bad at it. Okay, the, the, national, uh, the National Guard that's been deployed to D.C. from all these states, are they still sleeping in parking garages? Well, no, but, you know, that's, that's one of the interesting things. You know, if you do or anyone does come to Washington, D.C., and your hotel booking gets me- messed up, I, may I please recommend Level C spaces, you know, 120 through <laughs> you know, 130. You know. Oh, no. Have no fear. Have no fear. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Trump didn't open up his hotel to the, the National Guard. What the heck? No, I think I he did. No, I'm pretty sure he did, didn't he? <laughs> I don't think he did. No, I don't think. I don't think he fed the National Guard out of his hotel there oh, in the old, po- old old po- post office building. And we have one more DC question that we can laugh about here too. If we, or was that were those the two? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, that was just the two questions. All right. That was well, it. it's good to listen to you and tune you in. And I know everyone's doing lousy, and we're going to go to continue to do lousy. But the fact that it's, that it's so cold and the temperature's going to shoot back up, that's going to make us happy, right? That's going to make us feel good. That's all we need. All right. Good to hear from you, Patrick. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for calling in. All I right. Thank you for that. having me along. All right. Yeah, he's all the way from D.C., and he gets to watch all of that right firsthand for sure. We got one more segment left uh, before we go to break, and that's about the end of it. It's amazing how quick things change. Three one four four three six seventy nine hundred on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. I'm looking at some of the photographs from Joe Buck's property that's up for sale, and I was. Uh, reminded from a friend of mine here on Twitter, Jeremy, who messaged me a link to a story from September of last year that shows off the new property from the Joe Buck's property. Uh, you got to be pretty big when the news reports on you buying a new home. <laughs> and it's all bigger than this one. It was like four point some million. But this uh, home that's up in Ladue is beautiful. 7,400 square feet, beautiful living space. I did a video on it earlier. If you want to go check it out, it's uh, right online. Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook or at Ryan Recker on Twitter. I, you know, it's kind of a fun way to look in. I'm still trying to get my bearings when it does uh, just doing live video. I got to get a better laptop computer or something to do the streaming. I've been saying this for a while, but soon I'm going to have to get one, mostly because it's, uh, I think my computer now is about 10 years old, almost 10 years old. And you know, lifespans for computers, a 10 year old computer is not. <laughs> 
cutting it anymore. But I bought this 10 years ago and it was, you know, one of the it was a good computer. I mean, really well built, high spec computer. So it's held up for things I'm doing now, luckily. But it's time for uh, an upgrade. But still, I can do live video as long as I'm also not doing the show at the same time. So we can go look at uh, Joe Buck's $3.3 million do home that's up for sale right now. Beautiful property. So much better than Nelly's home. <laughs> so much better. Nice outdoor space. Uh, and they should submit this to HGTV magazine. My wife gets the magazine. She loves the magazine. She reads it. And it gives her all kinds of ideas. Thanks a lot to HGTV, who every month my wife says, well, we should do this or that. And I think, honey, we just did that. We just changed this. We're not changing it again. It's an it's a, a home that's definitely worthy of a magazine. Better Homes and Gardens, something like that. If you want to go see the photos, Camel V's got it posted up, but we can look at it together. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your night. We do have a couple of replay hours coming up next. In fact, we're going to have a replay hour uh, talking to New York Times bestselling thriller author Steve Barry on his new book that's coming out called uh, The Kaiser's Web. And he's got a virtual event with St. Louis Library. Also, Lucas Miles, author of the book The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. We do a spend a, a full hour with him. And that's coming up later tonight, too, on the replay hours. Otherwise, we're back again Sunday night. Uh, let's connect online and sleep well. Stay warm. We'll see you soon. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain. Wishing I could see your face again. Change the dial on the radio. Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow. If things were only like they used to be. Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.